This morning, we're going to finish looking at Paul's apostolic benediction at the end of 2 Corinthians. If you'll recall, at the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this benediction. It's the last verse in the book of 2 Corinthians, and he writes this blessing to the Christians in Corinth. Paul understands that the, Christian in Cor- the Christians in Corinth had gone through many struggles and many trials, that they were feeling tired, worn out, that maybe they were feeling overwhelmed and discouraged. So he gives, this them, gives them a blessing that shares with them who God is, how he feels about them, and how he wants to bless them. But that benediction at the end of 2 Corinthians is not only written to Christians 2,000 years ago, it's written to you and to me here this morning. Because God recognizes that some of us are tired, some are worn out, some are feeling overwhelmed and discouraged. So Paul writes this benediction, this blessing to you and to me to tell us who God is, how He feels about us, and that He wants to bless you. Paul wants to pride each and every one of us with refreshment. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. As Paul writes to the Christians in Corinth and as he writes to you and me, who follow Jesus. This is how he blesses us. He writes, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In this blessing two weeks ago, we looked at the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth that Jesus offers us his blessing, that Jesus offers us his unmerited favor. Jesus blesses us with the free gift of salvation. He also blesses us with an ongoing, never-ending, sustaining grace, which is sufficient for all the struggles and all the trials that we face in this life. Then last week, we looked at the second phrase of the benediction, the love of God. And we learned there that that God, God the Father, is with you. He is mighty to save. He delights in you. He quiets your fears. And He rejoices. He rejoices over you with singing. This week, we turn to the last phrase about God and Paul's blessing. It says, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This morning, we're going to focus on the most misunderstood, neglected, and even in some cases, ignored person of the Trinity. We are going to focus upon the Holy Spirit and who He is and what He does for followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I assume that as we've been in this benediction, as we've been focusing on this blessing, you've noticed that this is a special piece of Scripture. It's not the typical Pauline benediction. In fact, it's the only benediction in the whole New Testament that speaks of the Trinity, that speaks of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No other benediction is as theologically rich and profound as this benediction. 
But in order to understand this benediction, in order to receive the blessing that comes from this benediction, we have to have an understanding of the Trinity. We have to understand the Trinity, at least at a very simple level. So we're going to tackle that a little bit this morning. The Trinity is one of the most important doctrines of the Christian faith. The Trinity is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. Did you hear what I say? Essential doctrine of the Christian faith. This is how Wayne Grudem defines the Trinity. He writes, God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. Now, I'm going to read that again. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. Scripture clearly and unmistakably teaches that there is one God who eternally exists, co-eternally exists in three persons. The Bible teaches, listen to this, that there is one God, yet three persons are called God in the Bible. Therefore, the one God exists as three persons. Let's do that again. There is one God. Yet the Bible calls three persons God. Therefore, the three persons exist as one God. Confused? It's okay. It's a difficult concept. It's a difficult theological belief. It's hard to understand. It's hard to wrap our minds around it. But that's okay. I've heard it explained. I've heard Father, Son, and Holy Spirit explained uh, like an egg. There's one egg, yet the egg exists in shell, in yolk, and in white. I've heard the Trinity analogized to a three-leaf clover, A three-leaf clover has three leaves, yet is part of one clover stalk. I've heard the Trinity explained as the three different uh, expressions of H2O. Water, steam, and ice. Now, while these explanations or analogies may be kind of cute and a little helpful, they they don't completely explain the Trinity. And that's okay, because the Trinity is a description of God. And in many ways, God is indescribable. God is more than. He is greater than. And if you and I can completely wrap our arms around who God is, is that the God that we want to worship? No, because God is bigger than. He is greater than. He is God. He is God. The Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So as we come here to 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, Paul wants us to know the importance of all three persons of the Trinity. So he writes, intentionally including all three May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now this morning, we are going to dig deeper now into that third person of the Trinity, to the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at who He is and what He does. 
Now, we could do that. We could go back to Genesis. We could go back to the start and see how the Holy Spirit was integral in creation. We could track with the Holy Spirit all the way through the Old Testament and see how he moves and acts all through the New T- Old Testament. But what we're going to do is we're going to turn back a couple books to the book of Acts. So turn back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is going to help us better understand the Holy Spirit and his role. Acts chapter 2, in the church Bible, it's on page 883. Acts chapter 2. In Acts 2, we read the story of the Holy Spirit descending and indwelling the disciples. Indwelling means that he literally came to make his home in their lives. He literally comes to make his home in their lives. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now think, the disciples are all together, and a sound like a violent wind fills the whole house. You think these guys are a little scared? They're sitting in a house. Now think about this with me. Imagine this. For three years, you've spent the last three years with Jesus. You've dedicated your life to him. He has just ascended to heaven. He just left you. You watched him go up to heaven. You watched him leave you. You saw it with your own eyes. And now you and your closest friends, you who have become family, you're sitting alone in this house in Jerusalem and you're just waiting. You're waiting for something to happen. You're waiting for someone to come. Jesus has told you somebody's going to come. And you're sitting waiting in this house and a violent wind, it's probably loud, comes in and resounds throughout the house. Look at verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now remember, these were the disciples that were very committed to following Jesus until he was arrested. And then things change. And here, now, they're gathered in a house. They're probably confused. They're probably a little bit scared. And all of a sudden, this wind comes in. This fire comes down and descends upon them. And things change. Things radically change. From that point in time, everything about the disciples is different. They have experienced, each and every one of them, a radical change in their lives. Stephen. Stephen goes on to become the first martyr for the faith. He dies for his faith. He declares his trust in Jesus. He says he's going to follow him no matter what, and he dies. Peter. Peter goes from denying Christ to becoming a courageous follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, every one of the disciples goes from confused and scared to bold and intentional about preaching the gospel. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit that is now in them. Then the next thing that happens as described in Acts 2 is that Peter gets up and he starts to preach the gospel with passion. He tells people who Jesus is. He tells people what Jesus has done for them. Look what happens. Acts 2 verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart 
and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The text then says that on that day, around 3,000 people became part of God's kingdom and were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we have a context for who the Holy Spirit is and how He came into the disciples' lives and how He came into the lives of the first 3,000 Christians. Now it is important for us to understand a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is theologically. We are going to look at some theological truths about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you some of His attributes. Now this is not an all-inclusive list. It's not completely exhaustive, but there are attributes that help us understand who the Holy Spirit is. First, if you're taking notes, this is a good time to write. First, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is not a thing. He is not a force. He is not a power. Some people refer to the Holy Spirit as it. This is incorrect. He is not in it. He is a person. He has a personal relationship with all believers, and he has a personal relationship with God the Father and with Jesus Christ the Son. John 14, 17 says that the Holy Spirit is with you and that he comes to live in you. The Holy Spirit is a person. Second, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He is not a lesser God. He is not a different kind of God. He is not a lesser or different kind of God than God the Father or Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is fully God, equal with God the Father and equal with God the Son. Throughout the New Testament, the words Spirit and God are interchanged. They're used interchangeably. If you look later in Acts 5 and you see Peter's confrontation with Ananias, look what's written about this interchange. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to whom? Okay, good. You're with me. Have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but you have lied to whom? God. In the same passage, the writer references the Holy Spirit as God. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is fully God. And then third, the Holy Spirit is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Attributes that we give to God the Father as well. Omnipotent, omniscient, and what did I get? Come on. Omnipresent. Thank you. Three attributes that are assigned to the Holy Spirit. They're theological terms. Essentially, they just mean He's all-powerful, He's present everywhere, and He's all-knowing. These are attributes that the Holy Spirit has. 
This is who he is. And remember, it's not all-inclusive. He has other attributes, but these help us get an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Now we have an understanding of his attributes. What about his activities? There are things that the Holy Spirit does. There are things that he has given the task to do for the Godhead and for and to you and me. I, looked at, I identified some of these. Look at these. The Holy Spirit provides conviction of sin to all people. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer from the point of salvation. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, immediately the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. Serves as a helper or comforter, teacher, advisor, encourager, and guide. He also guides the believer into truth. He helps believers glorify and worship the Lord. He gives special gifts to believers. Every one of you who are followers of Jesus Christ have a special gift. Every one of you has a special gift that the Holy Spirit has given you to use for God. He enables believers to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Where do those things come from in my life? They come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables those things to flow from me. He seals believers as belonging to God the Father. These are the activities of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is fully God. He is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. And these are the activities. Now, take your Bible and jump back to 2 Corinthians. Because this is so interesting. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Now look at When Paul comes to bless the Corinthian church, when he comes to bless these Christians, when he comes to bless each one of us, he doesn't list any of the activities that I've just identified for you. He doesn't list any of the activities that we just looked at together. And these are the activities that are most mentioned of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Paul chooses to point out something different. So he writes, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. What does he mean here? Why didn't he choose some of the other activities? Why didn't he say, may the gifts of the Holy Spirit be with you? That enables us, it empowers us, it allows us to serve God. But he says, no, there's a very specific word he uses here. May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. The Greek word that is used here that we put in the word fellowship, the Greek word here is the word koinonia. Koinonia. And now there's not an English word that effectively or sufficiently translates to help us understand this concept of koinonia. So what happens as, as English-speaking people is we have to take a bunch of words. We have to take multiple words to help understand what this concept of koinonia means. So we look at words like community, communion, partnership, intimacy, unity, sharing. These are the words that encompass the meaning of the word koinonia. It takes multiple words to understand this concept. So here Paul is saying, Paul has written to us, 
may the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, I'd like to look at this concept of koinonia in three ways. It'll help us better grasp this idea of koinonia, and it'll help us better understand what Paul is trying to teach us here, how he is trying to bless us. First, koinonia. Paul intentionally references all three persons of the Godhead. Remember we said this is the only place he does it? He intentionally gives this benediction a Trinitarian dimension. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Why does he do that? Because he wants to lay a foundation for us in our relationship with God and in our relationship with each other. What Paul is saying is in the Godhead, these three equal persons in the Godhead have perfect fellowship. They have perfect koinonia. They have perfect community, perfect communion, perfect sharing, perfect unity. They have perfect participation amongst each other. And God is, and Paul is saying this is so important to who we are as believers because it lays the foundation. It gives us an example of the unity that is in God. Jurgen Moltmann said it this way. This is what he wrote. In their relationship to one another, the divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, exist simultaneously for one another and in one another in so intimate a way that in themselves they constitute their complete Trinitarian unity. There is perfect unity between God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is complete unity in thought, and there is complete unity in deed, and that is an example to you and to me of the fellowship, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit. So then secondly, when we look at this term, koinonia of the Holy Spirit, we see that this references our relationship with God. There is an ultimate flow to this benediction. There is an ultimate consequence of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father. The consequence of the grace of Jesus and the love of God is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. When you receive God's grace, Jesus' grace, when you experience God's love, the next thing you get is you get to participate in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which means first, for you and I as believers, we have fellowship with God. We are no longer separated from God. We now have union with God. We have community with God. We have communion with God. We have unity. We have partnership. We share intimately with God. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit means that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are connected to God. And as a result of being connected with Him in communion, in unity, we get to experience God and who He is. But often, let's be honest, it can be difficult to experience God it can sometimes, even for us as Christians, it can be difficult to know God's presence. Sometimes he seems far away. Sometimes he's not so close, or he doesn't feel so close. 
That takes us to the third concept of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that will help us understand. And that is this. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit also means that we have koinonia with each other. So not only do we have fellowship with God, community and unity with God, we have fellowship, koinonia, with each other. We have communion, community, partnership, unity, sharing, intimacy with each other as followers of Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul is referencing when he says you have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Not only do you have fellowship with God so that you can experience Him, but together you get to experience the fellowship that the Holy Spirit brings to each of you as followers of Jesus so that you're not in this alone. And one beauty of this is that that fellowship that we have amongst each other, that koinonia, that helps us see God's grace and experience God's love. It helps us participate in the fellowship. It draws us closer to God when we see God moving and working amongst us. Turn back to Acts chapter 2. Turn back to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we initially saw how the Holy Spirit came to and indwelt the disciples. And they utterly changed who these guys were. Then Peter preaches the gospel, and about 3,000 more people came to faith in Jesus Christ and were filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately when they're filled, look what happens next. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To what? Fellowship. What word do you think that is? Koinonia. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to koinonia. They devoted themselves to partnership, to communion, to participation, intimacy, sharing, community, unity. They devote themselves to this after they receive the Holy Spirit. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Then the evidence and the description of the koinonia. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved." These people in Jerusalem received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came and lived inside of each and every one of them, and they participated in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It says here that they devoted themselves to that fellowship. It's evidenced by their actions towards one another. Look, they had everything in common. They shared. There is a deep sense of intimacy and community that's present. They're unified and the result was that they experienced God in their midst. And then people were added daily. Why? Because this is incredibly attractive. When people see the Holy Spirit moving, when they see God, that attracts them. Now some of you say, but Tom, that was 2,000 years ago. 
That kind of fellowship, that kind of koinonia doesn't exist today. That's not true. That kind of koinonia exists today. That kind, kind of koinonia, that kind of fellowship exists today. Community, communion, caring, sharing, unity. It exists today. And I'd like to share with you stories of koinonia, but I'm not going to do the talking. I have asked some people, some Calvary people to come up here and share their stories of koinonia. And as they share, I want you to listen. I want you to listen to the demonstration of the fellowship between God and the individuals. And I want you to listen for the fellowship that occurs amongst the individuals. God, the Holy Spirit, is moving and active. Twelve parents, 17 children, one more on the way, one family. It began right when we arrived and were greeted with smiles and assistance from those we knew and those we did not know and soon would get to know. We pulled to our campsite and were greeted by friends and a few men I only knew peripherally from church. They helped guide the backing up of the trailer, pushed it to position, leveled it, helped assemble a canopy. They put my kids' bikes together, and they tirelessly unloaded gear. Their wives and children watched and played with our kids while we set up camp. All I knew was what they were friends from Calvary. It was spontaneous, instant, but better than just having friends in common. Life was then lived interwoven between families. Children were instant friends, food, Adventures, life lessons were constantly shared. My son was even taught to ride his bike by another's daughter. It was the fellowship that only comes from the Holy Spirit. There was an unmistakable, spontaneous sense of community. The weekend filled with holy fellowship ended with everyone moving from site to site to take down camp before morning rain. Each gave according to his ability. Each was helped according to his need. The goal was not just to beat the rain, though. The goal was to save time for a precious memorial camping tradition. The goal was to have time for prayer. The families gathered in a circle, held hands with old friends and new, children of their own and children from others. We spent time thanking God for a beautiful world and for the unity, beauty, and community that happens when believers gather together. Some of my friends there are from a different Sunday school class than I am here. Their class is called Koinonia. Approximately 23 years ago, I was at home recovering from cancer surgery. One day, I was sitting on our porch opening the mail I had received that day from well-wishers. It was a scary and uncertain time. My kids were young, and I didn't know if I was going to live to see them grow up. I opened a card from a good friend, and she included a scripture reference, Matthew 10, 29-31, which talks about God's care for his sparrows and ends with, so don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. I looked up, and at that moment, a sparrow landed on the railing in front of me, maybe four feet away, and stayed there for about 20 seconds before flying away. 23 years later, I'm wrestling with myself about going to the elders here at Calvary to receive healing prayer for chronic pain. God spoke to me through many circumstances, making a very convincing argument that it was the right thing to do. On the Sunday morning that was to happen, I was still convicted about going, but was naturally a little bit nervous and unsettled in my spirit as I anticipated how it was going to go and what the results would be or not be. 
We sat down in church for the final song of that service, and it was a beautiful rendition of a very meaningful song to me, His Eyes on the Sparrow. Some might say each of these events was a coincidence. I believe God was talking to me in a very special way each time, assuring me that everything was going to be okay. But more importantly, no matter what the outcome of the healing prayer would be that day, he was assuring me that he'd been with me and healed me in the past, and his promise was clear. He would be with me again, guiding me and strengthening me for the rest of my days, with or without chronic pain. Hi, my name is Clarity Graff, and I have had the privilege the last 15 years of being involved in a ministry to the deaf, helping the deaf translate the Bible into sign language all over the world. And so we have translation centers in Africa and India, uh, Costa Rica, uh, Thailand, and it is amazing um, when I go and meet with these deaf people in a language I don't understand that how often I actually know what they're saying. I don't know how this happens. It's a mystery to me, but I sense that they're who they're praying for, what situations they're praying for, and uh, and it's not just me. Other Christians who have gone with me, and it's been, it's been reported by other people that I've talked to, that they too sense this unity that the Holy Spirit allows us to understand things that transcend human understanding and human language. I just praise God for that gift. My husband Mark and I co-lead a young marrieds and a young families class here at Calvary called Threshold. Earlier this month, a couple in our class was involved in a hit-and-run car accident while the wife was pregnant with their first child. Fortunately, the baby is fine, and they expect to deliver any day now. However, the car was totaled, and they were really shaken up by this accident. In addition, they had just purchased the car as a family vehicle and had limited funds for hospital bills, replacing the car, and other related expenses. Several individuals in our group felt the Holy Spirit individually prompting them to offer the couple a monetary love gift. When the need was presented to the whole group, everyone in our 40-person class gave, and God multiplied it. The couple could pay the deductible, um, pay the insurance to replace the car, as well as replace any damaged items in the car, and even upgrade to a safer car. God is truly amazing. The couple is blessed with the love gift, and they praise God for his provision. God not only saved their family, an unborn child, in the accident, but he orchestrated a plan to bring a community of believers together to share with one another out of a love for Jesus, and we give him all the glory. Thank you for sharing those stories of fellowship. Aren't they beautiful? Amen. Stories of koinonia, of community, of partnership, of sharing, of unity. Stories that demonstrate our fellowship with God. Stories that demonstrate our fellowship with each other. This is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. He is moving and He is active and He is here. He speaks. He speaks to you and he speaks to me. He encourages you to move on God's behalf. He encourages me to move on God's behalf. And these aren't the only stories that we have at Calvary Church. There are hundreds of other stories of the Holy Spirit allowing us to receive and participate in his fellowship. I know that some of you have had similar situations to Mike where you meet somebody and immediately there is a bond and a connection and you find out, well, of course there is. That person's a Christian. 
They know Jesus. There is an immediate connection that takes place. That is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Or Jan's story, a story of seeming circumstance. Come on. That is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit moving and acting in her life over a 23-year period. It has not just happened to Jan. It has happened to others. Or Allison's reference to the people in her classroom the congregation, people of Calvary Church recognizing a need and sharing of their resources with other. It is a demonstration of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You've seen it in baptisms. You've heard it in baptisms. When people get up and give their testimony in a baptism and you see how God has incredibly woven the events of their life and brought people into their life to share with them, to encourage them, sometimes to rebuke them, but to call them to Jesus Christ. That is the moving and the acting of the Holy Spirit. I know you've heard it in the baptisms. I know this service has heard it. When somebody gets up in the baptismal, and they're telling their story, and the power of God comes through their story, and they can't, they start, they, they get choked up, they almost can't go on. Invariably, somebody in this congregation yells out, Hey, we're with you. Go on, we're with you. And that is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It is God saying, I am with you. I am with you in community. I am with you in unity. We get to partnership with him. And then the great part is, is that we get to all be with each other. We get to be in community. We get to be in partnership. We get to have unity. We get to share with each other. This is the benefit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He is moving and he is active because he is real. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the grace that you have demonstrated to us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the fellowship that you have provided, the fellowship that we have with God and the fellowship that we have with each other, a fellowship that would be non-existent but for you. God, you are so good to us. We love you and we thank you that we can be a part of who you are and what you are doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.